Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, our guest comes to us all the way from the eighth layer of the OSI model. Patrick Laverty. Patrick, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here, Tom. I'm pretty excited to talk with you today. Yeah, this has been a long time in the making. As I said uh, before we got started, we've been playing DM tag for probably several years now, and our schedules just never quite lined up. So super excited to kick this off and hear what's on your mind. Yeah, they finally did it. I'm super glad that we're finally able to connect and have this conversation. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't know kind of who you are, what you do, um, we play in a lot of the same sandboxes. Um, I know you um, from the Layer 8 conference, and but probably even better from the Layer 8 podcast that I am a fan of. And I heard a rumor it's starting back up. Yeah, that's true. Um, the Layer 8 podcast, um, we came back as of February 5th. Uh, we've had 97 episodes in our first three seasons where I speak to experts in the fields of social engineering and open source intelligence. So I figured uh, we got to get this going again because I need at least 100. So yeah, I think uh, now I've spoken to more than 100 people in the field. So you can definitely check out some of the brand new episodes that we have all at layer8podcast.org and see some of the ones that we have there. So it should be another exciting season. It's going to be our fourth season of podcast episodes that we'll have out there for people. And that is so cool because like I can tell you as someone who's fairly new to the field, um, like I've only been you know doing cybersecurity professionally for about a year and a half and really only been into security since maybe since 2018-ish. Okay. Um, so, you know, compared to the rest of my professional life, a very small portion of, you know, my, the things that I've been into. And I was, I was, I was hoping to like talk to you about the, the value that like, you know, conferences like yours, podcasts like yours, podcasts like mine, organizations like mine, like the value that we bring, because honestly, when you're just getting started out, okay, I'm going to Google OSINT or I'm going to Google social engineering um, right. like, you know, our, you know, organizations, our podcast, other cons, other organizations, like that's what they're getting hit with. Like that's their, that's their gateway. And that's, it's really important to find a good one. So I'd love to hear your take on like, you know, either like starting your stuff and how it's evolved and your take on the community now. Yeah. I think it was way back in the early 2010s when I was starting to get interested in the security field. And I started looking around for how do I learn more about this? What do I do? And somebody mentioned that there was a group um, up in Boston because I, I live in Rhode Island. So Boston's about an hour from me. And I heard that there was an OWASP group that was meeting up there, an open web application security project and a security conference. And I, I kept going to those OWASP meetings every month and uh, if anybody's familiar with the Northeast Boston traffic, you can probably understand that that's a bit of a nightmare after work to try to get up to Boston. So after a few of those, I remember sitting around at, at work one day and mentioning to my boss, like, I really like going to these meetings up there because I'm learning a lot, but I don't really like the traffic. It'd be great if we could find something down here in Rhode Island that has the same thing, but I don't think it exists. And he just looked at me and said, why don't you create one? I'm like, how do I do that? What do, what do you mean? And eventually I figured out in order to have one of these meetups, you really don't need 
very much. Basically, you need a space, you need a speaker, and you need attendees. And I think sometimes the speaker can even be optional. You can have the attendees just discuss. And I've even told people, you can just go get like a corner of a bar somewhere and get people together. And that's about all you need for a meetup because actually the first time I ever pulled this together, that's exactly what we did by accident because I, I did contact a, a local bar because they had like a really nice back room area that I thought would be fun to be able to have one of these meetups in. Turns out they double booked. So I, I show up and they get trivia night going on. They're like, sorry, like, you know, they've been here for a while and we, we can't give you that room. But I had a handful of people there for a meetup. So we just grabbed a corner of the bar, grabbed some food. And that was our, our first meetup. And it's all built from there where I was able to then create um, OWASP meetups. I was creating, um, I think a, I brought back the DEF CON 401 meetup as well as still being able to go up to, to Boston to see things like the, the Boston security meetup that they have every so often, which is a whole lot of fun to do. So I really think that being able to get people together and be able to share ideas is a huge help, not only for learning, but also for networking, because I imagine this can be another area that we can discuss here is people want to know, how do I get into the field? How do I get a job? And I think these meetups, these ways of doing personal networking, introducing people, meeting new people is going to be a great way for somebody to get into the field, even if they have the degrees and all these sorts of things as well. So I think that's kind of a pretty roundabout rambling answer to your question was a little bit about how I got to be able to create these types of meetings and also the, the value of them is I really think is with how people can meet each other and get to know others in the field. Because one of the things that I really like when I come back from these is it might be months later in my job and somebody will say, do you know how to solve this problem in this area? And I'd be like, no, but I remember I met this one person who probably does. And then I can go contact that person. And sometimes that they're available where I can just kind of roll out the problem and say, what do you think about this? And sometimes they'll say, yep, this is exactly how you solve that problem. So I think there is going to be a big part of the, the value in these, these meeting groups. Yeah. And like for me personally, and so speaking from like the value that I've gotten from meetups, podcasts, things like that, it is the same value I try to give back to the people and the things I create. And that's that I want people to like come into our community, listen to our content, come to one of my workshops, whatever. I want them to come in and walk away with the feeling of, yeah, I can do that. Like, you know, I'm not really that different than these other people. And that's why I love that like your podcast, our podcast, other podcasts have like such a diverse array of experiences and backgrounds. So it's like, oh, well, I can't do cybersecurity. I'm not a tech person. It's like, well, here are a hundred people and only 20 of them were tech people. The others were private investigators, insurance investigators. Um, they could have just been HR people like myself, like, um, they can go through those episodes or come to these meetups and realize like, Hey, I belong here. I can be successful here. Um, so like, I'm, I'm always impressed, you know, at the welcoming atmosphere, like that organizations like ours or that, you know, content like ours creates. So pretty, pretty proud of that. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed with the Layer 8 conference in the four times that we ran that one as well as trying to be as welcoming as possible. But for me, it was always not just about being welcoming, but also making people feel comfortable while they are there. Because getting people in the door is often not really the difficult part with these types of things, with, the, with these meetings and these conferences. The hard part is getting them to come back. That's really what I see is the, the hard part because you know people will show up to things once, but if they don't like it, if they don't feel welcome, if they don't feel like that's their place, they're not going to come back. So that's one of the things that I really try to focus on is try to get you know that wide, diverse group of speakers for people to be there. I, re I remember at the Layer 8 conference in 2019, uh, you know, we had an incredible lineup of speakers. We certainly had a lot of the people that you might consider like rock stars in the industry, people that everybody's heard of. But one of the other things that we did also have was we had a um, high school student presenting his own research. Now, this was amazing because I also did feedback from the attendees on each of the speakers. And this high school student presenting his, his own research was one of the highest rated presentations of the entire day. Everybody, there was so, so many people came back to me and said, that was my favorite presentation of the day. He was amazing. The stuff was things that I had never even thought about before. So I think that's probably an area that we as organizers really need to keep an eye open for is not really just necessarily chase the names that everybody's heard of, but also look for the really good work that, that people are, are, are creating out there and bring them in and give them a space to discuss their work as well, because it works out well. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, the other, I guess, value add that I see, you know, organizations, content like ours creating is that, you know, we could be someone's introduction to the field. Um, and at times that can be incredibly cumbersome, <laughs> um, but it's, it's also so important um, in the uh, specifically in the fields of social engineering, open source intelligence, like there is no license, there is no certificate, there is no degree program um, that's going to get you that job. It's just a, it's some skills that you know you develop over time and then apply them to certain problems, and that can go incredibly wrong, incredibly fast without some guardrails. Um, so like I'm I'm really proud of you know, organizations like ours that like give people a good starting point and a good direction. Like, here's how you can do social engineering responsibly. Here's how you can do an open source intelligence investigation responsibly. Um, so, and then I'm, I'm also excited to see just more and more organizations come along that are doing that same thing. Yeah. One of your past guests also, uh, kind of came up that way. I don't know if, uh, Ray Baker has also, mm -hmm told you some of her, where she started from. I, I remember when we were putting on the Layer 8 conference, just getting an email from this college student. And the college student just basically said, you know, I'm, I really want to break into this field. I want to attend your conference. Is there anything that I can do to come on up? And I was like, I really support college students in the, the conference. So one of the things that I've always done is I've completely comped the ticket price for college students. And Ray came up to the conference, she came up to Layer 8, brought some of her, uh, her colleagues, classmates with her, jumped into the Trace Labs Capture the Flag competition that we had there at Layer 8, 
And she claims that was her first introduction to OSINT, which is just amazing. When you look at Wondersmith Ray, Ray Baker, to where she is today, it is just amazing. And one of the things that I always like to put out there is I never want to claim any kind of credit for the work that Ray has done. She is amazing. The work that she has done is incredible. I just think that it's a whole lot of fun to know that her start where she got an interest in OSINT was through that Trace Labs Capture the Flag competition. And she's just taken off from there. And it's amazing to see. So that is just one example of where people who don't really have too much of a, a background in either OSINT or social engineering can attend one of these conferences, one of these meetings, anything like that, and get their start there and learn, meet other people. It's just a, a, amazing to see where people can come from with that type of thing. Yeah, and <clears throat> just thinking about like the different directions that something as simple as like a podcast episode or going to a conference can send you. Um, like I I've talked before about how like I trace my sort of origin to where I am today back to attending a B-Sides conference in Cincinnati and having that aha moment. Like these are my people, I can fit in here, this is cool. Um, but the other kind of like, I guess, big break that I had both personally and professionally was, um, you know, just through a podcast, I learned about the social engineering CTF at DEF CON. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll do that. <laughs> Not really understanding like what that actually involved or entailed. Um, but I applied for the 2019 competition, got accepted and, you know, went to Vegas and competed. Um, and, uh, and how'd that go for you? Oh, disastrous. It's <laughs> <laughs> not because, easy. Oh man. That was, um, it was my, that was my first exposure to open source intelligence. So like my, mm -hmm. I guess my like motivation for even trying it was like, at the time I was a human resources person. You know, I was a professional interviewer. I'm like, I can, I talk to people on the phone every day. Like how hard mm -hmm. can this be? Um, which, you know, true, but OSINT. Um, so that, that was my entire exposure to the field of OSINT that got me, you know, I bought a Mike Basil book and just started going through all this stuff. Um, but got in there, uh, my, my phone calls landed flat and I, you know, didn't do very well. Actually, I came in dead last. Um, but like that was my exposure. And then it was at that DEF CON where I met Trace Labs. And also that's how I met Ray. Um, and then, you know, instead of going the SE route and, you know, my life took the OSINT route. And now here I am with Trace Labs and I also do threat intelligence professionally now. Um, so like something as simple as just hearing an idea on a podcast can take someone's life in a very, very interesting direction. Yeah, it really is interesting. Like, um, I think I had a similar experience where I was working at a local university as a web application developer. But I had a little bit of interest in security. I didn't know too much about it. And just by luck, the the school's chief security officer had a, his office was near mine. So every so often I'd stop in and talk to him about security stuff. And, you know, we also had other interests in like hockey and baseball and stuff like that. But there was then one day on a, on a Friday afternoon where the university's uh, main web server just basically got dosed. It, it shut down. And, you know, at that point, it was all hands on deck trying to figure out what happened. Eventually, we, we got it back up and running. And I remember the CSO came to me and he said, I'm going to task you with figuring this out. What happened to our web server? Why did it go down? It got DOSed. We could see tons of traffic coming to it. 
why, what was all that all about? And I, I thought this was like so much fun because basically once I started digging in, I eventually figured out that the problem was both, it was a, a web problem, uh, but also I guess you could kind of see it maybe as a social engineering problem as well, where the web server got overloaded with web shells. We had too many places where people were uploading their web shells onto the server and they had all their stores where they were selling fake watches and that sort of thing. And what they were doing was they were asking Google to come and index their stores. And eventually it just got to be too much because one of the funny things was that when we were debugging it and seeing that th what was causing the, the denial of service, we were seeing that Google was causing the denial of service. And the, the problem was that there was just too many Google indexes hitting it at the same time, hitting all these shells. And from there, I was, be, I was able to, to figure out all those problems. And I said, this is really neat. I really think I need to share this with other people because I've learned so much from this. And I created a, a conference presentation about it. And I had never done that before. I'd never done public speaking. Uh, so I just put it out to a local university uh, uh, conference, I think up at Boston College. And I was like, here's where I'm going to talk about how a denial of service shut down our web server and turns out it was Google. And I had so much fun giving that presentation. I had such great feedback from it where so many people pulled me aside after and like, I think I have the same problem as you. I think I'm seeing some of these uh, same types of things. From there, that's really was the jumping off point for my career, going from that web application developer off into the field of security. I'm like, this is so much fun to be able to figure all this out and to be able to share this information with others as well. So I'm, I'm sure you've gotten this question many times, and I'm sure you'll continue to get it far into the future. How can people get started in the fields of social engineering, open source intelligence, or even just cybersecurity in general? And I guess maybe two-part question, how would you have answered that maybe pre-COVID and how do you answer it today? Because I feel like I've seen a change from say 2018, 2019 to today. Okay. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. It'll be interesting to hear what you see as the differences because yeah, you're right. We do get that question all the time. How do we get into the fields. How do I get into a security field? And I think I even just answered this recently online and I always give people the same answer. I guess it's going to depend on where you are. If you're like a student going to college and saying that you want to get into the, the cybersecurity field going forward, usually the advice that I give to people, um, especially for the people that say, I want to be a, a pen tester, I want to learn how to hack everything. And the advice that I give there is learn how to build before you can break. And I always tell people, go into either become a network administrator, become a system administrator, or become a web application developer. If you can figure out how to build networks or build mobile apps, build websites, you're going to be in a great place to be able to figure out how to break them. Or the other analogy that I like to use for people is let's say you get this huge skyscraper that you need to tear down. Now, you have a choice between two people on who you can have to tear this down. You can either get this really big, huge, strong person with a sledgehammer, or you can get the person you can get the architect who drew up the blueprints. Which one of those two people is going to be more successful in tearing down the skyscraper? You know, you can get somebody swinging away that sledgehammer all day, or you can get the architect who knows the blueprints, who knows exactly where all the weak points are. It's because that architect built the building that they know where the weak spots are. And I think it's the same thing with cybersecurity. If you're building networks, if you're building systems, if you're building web applications, chances are you're going to learn 
where all those weak spots are. So that way, when you do want to flip over and start doing some of the more uh, pen testing, figuring out how to break things, you have a much better idea of uh, how to get started with those as well. As far as being able to break into social engineering, that one's uh, always an interesting topic where I think what we have to do is we have to question, what do you mean by you want to get into social engineering? If you're somebody that says, you know, I want to be able to learn how to break into buildings. Uh, I want to learn how to get somebody's password from them over the phone. Great. That's all stuff that you can do eventually as a social engineer. But if you don't have any kind of experience with that and you want to figure out how to get into it, Usually what I describe to people is that social engineering has social in the title. So it's really going to be about interpersonal communication skills. You need to learn how to talk to people. How comfortable are you to just walk up to a random person on the street and start a conversation with them? Most people are going to say, no, I, I don't want to do that. That scares me. Exactly. And that's something that you do need to get comfortable with. So that's, that's usually the start that I tell most people, if you want to get into social engineering, that's what you really need to get comfortable with. You need to figure out what is your communication style. You need to get more comfortable with people and being able to have conversations with them. Now, we're not going to tell you right off the bat, go talk to somebody on the street and try to get their password out of them. That's like an advanced level thing and probably also going to be malicious, potentially illegal. So let's start with something easy. Let's say, go have a conversation with somebody that you've never met. Try to find out their first name. You know, that probably sounds super easy, but if you're not somebody that's used to striking up conversations with somebody, it's going to be a little bit scary and it will eventually get easier. And you can go from there. You can take things further as you go to be able to become a better social engineer in terms of those conversations. Maybe eventually you try to figure out, are they from this area? What's their middle name? Do they have siblings? Do they have children? What field of work are they from? All of those are great ways that I think that really can get you started into the, the social engineering area. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I'll say, um, I originally framed the question as like maybe pre-COVID, post-COVID, but I was as I was thinking through it while you were answering, um, it's possible it's just my perception of entering the field has changed, coming in pre-COVID, wanting to get in, and then landing my job, being here post-COVID. So I'll maybe answer it in, in that framing. When you're looking at the security industry, like from the outside, it's incredibly um, frustrating is the wrong word. Probably is, you feel dejected. Um, it's like, oh God, like I don't have these certs. I don't have these years of experience. I don't have this degree. Um, so if you're just like reading job postings on LinkedIn, you're going to be incredibly discouraged and probably just give up. Like, no, this was a bad idea. I'm going to go back to dental school or, you know, whatever your fallback plan was. And that was my perception. Like even like going to conferences, I was like, oh God, everyone here already has a job. They've all got the experience. I'm never going to get experience. Like, do I really have to go work at a help desk? Uh, you know, how bad do I not want to be in human resources? But as I, you know, sort of just got into the field from like the volunteer side and just, you know, being engaged with the community on social media and online to where I am today, like I realized like, okay, like my perception wasn't entirely wrong initially because those job requirements do exist for some positions, but so much of it is just being involved. Uh, Nicole Beckwith, my, you know, my current manager hired our entire team off Twitter. 
that was like she just put it out there like hey i'm i'm building this team from scratch if that sounds cool to you my dms are open and then she went off personality fit for the team with the the mentality that you know she can teach tools and skills that's you know anyone can learn virus total in a week or you know you can teach investigative fundamentals in one to two months but as far as like how the team works together you know that that either is or isn't um so like that's been my kind of aha moment that like really all i needed to do was just be involved like if i if i really wanted to get in okay get as in as i could and stay there so for me like my foothold was trace labs okay like i'm doing this for free but i'm here every day i'm in the slack channel i'm at the ctfs and then it was hey tom do you want to do more with your organization yes and now i was further and then i just kept kept infiltrating the industry and now here i am getting paid to do this <laughs> um so like that's been a big like mentality shift for me and i try to share that with anybody that will listen like yes requirements are a thing but if you want to get in like just get your foot in and don't give and like don't let go and then get your leg in and the rest of your body and eventually you know you'll be here like the rest of us yeah i think it, it's true that like they say half of life is just showing up and i think sometimes if you just show up to these things you're going to slowly absorb the information that you need to know. You're going to make the connections. You're going to, to find the people. And I totally get where you're coming from when you're looking at the listings, especially if you're, you know, looking at LinkedIn job listings and these types of things. Some of them are, you know, obviously ridiculous with the types of things that they're looking for, not to mention trying to find a job just through cold calling, sending in resumes to people that, you know, get they, they get stacks of resumes. And I, I have no idea how that they are actually sorting through this. So it's real easy to get imposter syndrome with this kind of stuff as well. And I, I think I probably also had the same mentality as you did uh, with just showing up, being around, never taking no for an answer, just continuing on because that's, that's a little bit of the origin of layer eight as well. I remember I had spent a, a couple of years helping with the, the B-Sides Boston conference and I was like a the, the you know the content chair for a few years, helped to to keep that uh, part of the the conference going. And then I, I remember one year thinking like, yeah, it it's gratifying and it's a lot of fun to work on a B sides conference, but it would be fun to try to create my own thing from scratch because when you put together a B sides conference, everybody has heard of that. So that's is, is you know as soon as you come up and say oh. Well, I'm going to run this B-Sides conference. People are, are familiar with that and they, they know what they're getting. So I wanted the challenge of trying to figure out how can I do something from the ground up, but I didn't know specifically what to do. And I did have an interest in social engineering. So I started looking around. I'm like, are there any conferences dedicated to social engineering? I couldn't find one. So I was like, this could be a whole lot of fun. Like, I don't know anything about social engineering, but I know a little bit about conference organizing. So how about I just create this conference on social engineering and put that out there? And that's what we did for the, that first one in 2019, where we had the, the layer eight conference for the first year in social engineering. It was kind of fun as I was putting the, the conference together for a few years and eventually put the, the podcast together, which, you know, I'll, I'll fully admit the whole reason that I created the layer eight podcast was purely marketing for the conference. Because one of the things that I was seeing was that people would only think of the conference for about a month before a month after. 
So that was a whole lot of work to kind of drum up interest and keep the name out there for, for people to come on back. So I was like, well, I'm going to create a podcast where I can put out a weekly episode. So that keeps the layer eight name in front of people. So when I'm ready to run the conference again, everybody's ready to go. But one of the things that I, I saw was that over time, people saw me as like somebody who knows about social engineering just because I'm you know, the host of the podcast, because I'm the creator of the conference. So obviously I must know all about social engineering and OSINT where I'm just like, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning from all these other people that are here. I don't have any kind of background in this, but it was the kind of thing where just by being around, just by showing up. And one of the things that I, I found was that by talking to these experts all the time on the, the podcast, I was absorbing a whole, much, whole bunch more information. So then by the time that I did actually get to go do social engineering engagements, because I had never done them before I uh, before I started the the conference. Other than you know some some little fishing engagements, and I think I made a couple phone calls once, but I had never actually gone on site to try to get into a facility before I had created the the Layer Eight conference or podcast. But just through all the time of talking to people and listening to all the different stories of how things happen, it kind of planted all those seeds in my head. So that way, when I finally did get to go on site and finally get to go try to breach a facility, every time in the moment, I would see these same situations come up that other people had talked about, like, okay. So when that, that person said X happens, they did Y and they were successful. I'm going to try that too. And it was, it, it worked. So like you said, just being around, just talking to people, just listening to people is a way to learn your way through this field. And eventually the certifications will will come with those as well and uh, your your anecdote made me just just think of a fun sidetrack i'm really curious if you'd like to share like your your theoretical social engineering versus real life um, or you know to quote morpheus from the matrix a difference between knowing the path and walking the path like, was there that oh shit moment, like when you're actually there in an engagement? Like, I didn't train for this. What am I gonna do? <laughs> um, well, it's it's kind of fun that in um, one of my engagements, in order to breach the facility, well, we we showed up on on day one uh, at this facility. It was like a, a water treatment facility, government facility that we had to get into. And we're just kind of driving by the, the front gate. We're, you know, stopped by and doing our reconnaissance, trying to see, you know, are there any cameras? Are there any guards? What types of things are we looking for? And from the street, we just kind of looked across to the other side of the facility and we saw a river. We're like, there's a river that runs along the other side of the fence. Let's go check that out. So sure enough, we drove around to the other side of the facility where the river was and there were no buildings all along the road and we could just see that the river was probably only like ankle deep so we just kind of looked at each other and said we're going through the river to get into this facility so that's not something that you can really train for or plan for at 1 a.m we decided we're going through this river to get into the facility so we had all of our gear we carried a ladder we, we had everything that we needed in order to breach the facility doing this at 1 a.m. Now, of course, you know, when we were doing our reconnaissance, the river looked like it was ankle deep. Yeah, that that was a mistake. We eventually found out that there were holes in the river that were about four to five feet deep. So when you're kind of 
in the dark carrying all this stuff and you hit a hole and drop up to your armpits, it kind of gets a, a little bit hairy at times. And if you're carrying technical gear, yeah, you kind of get those those moments that are, are interesting. But I, I think to your point about knowing the path, walking the path, when you hear all of these stories, one of the things that comes up, I, I think for me, a lot of times was that everybody would talk about, oh, I just kind of walked around and luckily, luckily for me, the, the door was unlocked. So that's how I got in. I'm like, there seems to be an awful lot of luck involved in these. And it sure seems like, you know, what happens if you don't have this, this luck, but when you're actually there, luck is really going to be that residue of preparation where because you're prepared for it, these lucky situations seem to come up. And the other thing that I noticed with it is that sometimes it can be a little bit easier than you have planned. Like once we were able to cross that river, throw the, uh, put the, the ladder up against the fence and hop in, we were in, there was really no real more challenge to it at, at that point, being able to walk around and start documenting all the things that we wanted to, to document. So that was uh, a whole lot of fun with that one as well, even to the point where I, um, with permission, relocated a, a company vehicle, which, you know, if we want to tell a story a more fun way, you can say, yeah, I, I stole a car from the company. But um, I, I like to say that we relocated it because we had permission and the point of contact person said, sure, if you can do it, just bring it over to my office and yeah, that's what we did as well by uh, relocating one of their vehicles in the middle of the night. Any thoughts on like trends or what the future holds, you know, maybe for our, our respective fields? Like I, I bring that up because I feel like OSINT is just gaining like more and more and more traction. Um, you know, like my classic go-to is the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats. That is my case study for how not to OSINT. Don't do any of that. If you're listening to this, don't do that. <laughs> it was a great documentary, terrible OPSEC, terrible technique. For me, that was kind of like the damn breaking moment. Like now, like OSINT investigations are now breaking out into the mainstream. Um, you know, there have always been people on Reddit or 4chan, you know, doing OSINT as a community, but I feel like it's gaining more and more traction. I feel like it's gaining more and more acceptance in say in, in fields like law enforcement. Um, so I feel like there's more interest today than there's ever been, which also makes me think there's a, an even greater need for someone giving you guardrails and guidelines. But I'm curious to hear like your take on that trend. Well, I, I think the, the obvious answer to that is going to be with the artificial intelligence, with the AI and how much easier is OSINT going to get in the future with the AI assistance? Because obviously at this point, it's nothing that you can trust at face value. I, I think if we were to begin an OSINT investigation and use one of the, the AI tools and ask it for our help, that might be a, a decent starting point. Uh, certainly, like I said, we're not going to trust the information that comes back right away. That's all stuff that's going to need to be validated. And I, I think it's also in a similar place with social engineering. I've seen some recent studies that compared phishing campaigns between what AI is able to create versus what humans create. And one of the things that was found is that the, the phishing campaigns that humans create are still going to be better in terms of believability. 
but the thing that AI is going to do for you is going to give you the speed um, because it does have the background in the be able to create things much more quickly than humans are able to. So I think that's probably a direction that it's going to go now. I, I think every every so often we do have new technologies that come up and some of them seem super promising and then they kind of hit a wall and go off in a different direction or just die out. I have no idea if AI is going to go in that direction um, or if it is something that is going to get a whole lot better to the point where you could just go to some AI engine and say, I'm investigating this person because I believe that they're doing this, prove it and see what comes back. You know, it, but I think you're, you're also right that OSINT is really starting to reach the mainstream. For example, I think I just saw a job listing for an OSINT investigator with the National Football League. Like who would have thought about that a few years ago? Like did the NFL even know what OSINT was three or four years ago? I have no idea. Maybe they did. But that's probably not an area that somebody who's getting into the OSINT field would have thought of a few years ago. I, I remember that I even went to one of the first um, SANS OSINT summits that Micah Hoffman was running. And I was completely new to the field, but because of the, you know, the layer eight connection, I was like, I'm going to go to this and learn as much as I can. So one of the questions that I asked, and I think I got a whole bunch of eye rolls from the people in the room because they were all super experienced people. But one of my first questions is, if I were to learn about OSINT, where are the jobs? Like, I understand that there's private investigators. I understand that there's police. But if I don't have a PI's license, if I don't want to be a police officer, where are the jobs for this? And like I said, with the number of experienced people in the room, there's like, oh, there's so many places. But I'm like, I'm a total noob to this. I have no idea where the jobs are. And I think to your point of it becoming such a mainstream thing and even jobs, you know, like, like I mentioned with the National Football League, I, I, I think people are really seeing the, the value in some of the, the threat intelligence, which can also be open source intelligence gathering, that that's going to, to help companies going forward as well. Yeah, and um, just to, to walk back a, a bit, um, I liked how you touched on AI and social engineering and phishing because anyone in cybersecurity right now, like that's that's the boogeyman, is that AI is going to just, just destroy us all with the greatest phishing emails we've ever seen with voice cloning. The part that I wish that like the public or the, even the industry at large would understand that a successful social engineering engagement, whether it's a phishing campaign, a phone call, a text, it still relies on the attacker having an understanding of how to exploit human behavior. Like the AI is just, to, I think to your, to your point, a, a helper, a convenient tool. Like, okay, cool, you can clone anyone's voice. Well, you clone my wife's voice, but do you actually know like the things that to say that are gonna elicit a response from me? Like if my wife calls me, I'm in jail, I need money for bail. Um, but if you know that we have children and you know my children's name and where they go to school and you start working that into your fish, you're probably gonna get a response out of me. But that takes planning and preparation um, more so than anyone would ever spend on the target Tom, but you know, nation state actors targeting diplomats, who knows? Um, but I, I want people to realize that the AI is the tool the human beings still have to understand other human beings to weaponize that tool. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting if the, the tools are trained in that way, in a, in a way that, you know, AI is, has so much information potentially in it, in its background. Can we train it to say, 
create a, a phone call vishing campaign that Tom is going to believe. And that is going to then involve things like his background, uh, his children's names, go through whatever information that Tom has out there and be able to put all of that together. Now, that is an extremely scary uh, potential for so many people. And we hear the stories about you know the parents that get the phone call where they can hear their child in the background and their the the phone call claims that the child has been kidnapped and bad things are going to happen to the child unless money is is given over immediately and this is a super scary thing so one of the the areas that i always like to explain to people and i guess this is probably another great place to to give the advice on how to defend against these types of social engineering engagements and it's the same advice that I give for all types of social engineering. I really believe that we can stop any social engineering attack of any kind with what I call my two V's. And that's going to be uh, validation and verification. If you validate and verify the information you're being given, whether that is somebody that is calling you on the phone, whether that is through an email, whether that's somebody that's walking around the hallways of your, your office building, if we are able to verify who they are and validate the information that, that you're being given, you're going to be able to shut that down. And that's one of the things that those types of phone call attacks really try to do when they claim they've kidnapped your child. So many people say, well, I need to speak to the, the kid. It's like They say, nope, we're not going to let you do that. They're not letting you verify or validate that information. So chances are that this is going to be a scam. And in those instances, the, the other advice that I've been giving to people, and I've done this with my own family, is to have a password. So if somebody were to call me up and say, I have kidnapped your child, uh, give us a whole bunch of money or else we're going to do bad things to your child. I'd be like, okay, ask my child for the password. If my child knows to give that password in this scenario. So if you can't do that, then I know this is not real. If you have that password and you can get that, sure. Yeah, we're going to then take this a little bit more seriously and do what we have to do. So for me, that's going to be those two V's. That verification and validation is a great way to shut down, I think, just about any type of social engineering attack there is. I, I think a lot of it also just goes back to just understanding how you could be exploited. It's going to put you in a much better position to defend against those exploits. And I mean, that applies to you know, traditional cybersecurity. It applies to human security, physical, physical security. But just getting people to understand like, hey, you could be a target. Here's what it would look like. Now think through it, um, which is, you know, pretty much every Christmas I, ha I have a full PowerPoint presentation I make everyone sit through. So and they keep inviting me back. So I guess it's a good presentation. <laughs> that, that must be really great as well. And it, it's just like super funny that like I got my start in, you know, because of SE and then wound up in, in, in OSINT. And it's so funny, like the people... I met like at that DEF CON or people, the one that I consider friends today, but two is mm -hmm. like, you know, they're all like big names. Like, you know, that was the one that Elith Dennis won. So that's where I met Elith and she's been on the podcast a number of times. That's how I met Ray. Ray was the, uh, in the trace lab slack. She was the first person that was nice to me. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Oh, did I just latched onto her and have been, you know, yeah, writing that, in her wake ever since that that's one of the other interesting things, especially being in the field for a while, is that you see people come up through the field. I know it's 
often extremely tempting when you go to a conference to to want to go befriend the you know the the big names all the people that everybody knows and be like i want to be that person's friend i want to get to know them and be around them because they're so smart they know all these types of things but one of the the other interesting things when you're around for a while is you see the other people that come up through the field and become those superstar big names as well so the other advice that i like to give to people is befriend everybody. You you never know who is going to be helpful to you. Uh, of course, you want to be nice to everybody. That's, that goes without question. Kindness, of course, is super important. But I, I think it's also really important to keep your eyes open to everybody and to be willing to help anybody and everybody. As you go through and as you experience through, you're just going to come up with all these other people and if you're um, around them at the, the same time, they're going to remember that you were there uh, the whole time with them as well. So that way, you know, like a reference at the beginning of this, when there's that time that you have the, an issue in your job and you're like, I know somebody that can have the answer to that, you can call them up and they're going to be willing to, to help you. So you got to also be willing to, to give that back as well when, when somebody calls you. So it's going to be that two-way street to be able to have your eyes open to helping uh, people at all levels uh, as well as being available um, for them when they need it. Well, Patrick, this has been a great conversation or a great social engineering engagement. Maybe those are the same things. I'm not sure. I'm the I'm a professional intelligence person, not a professional social engineer. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on this episode. It's been years in the making, and I've certainly had a lot of fun. Um, if people wanted to find you online, learn more about you, the things you're supporting and into, where can they do that? Oh, this has been so much fun. And I'm so glad that we are finally able to connect Tom. If people want to find me, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on blue sky. You can either find me personally with, uh, my handle in most places is P Laverty nine. Um, or you can go to the layer eight conference.com layer eight podcast.org. Um, and hopefully people will want to check out the new episodes that are coming out uh, th this week. And we're going to have them every two weeks, hopefully for the whole year, all on topics of OSINT and social engineering. Awesome. I can't wait. It's still in my podcast feed. So I'm looking forward to seeing those drop in soon. Thanks so much, Tom. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org on Twitter, at Trace Labs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs 